So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to tonight's episode of Bible News Radio. Yeah, I do. I love this music. I always have to, like, pause during the music. Anyway, hey, tonight what we're going to do is we are going to talk about Israel. And not only Israel, but we're going to talk about the new anti-Semitism. And I don't know about you, but this is not a fun topic in my mind because... Anti-Semitism is not, it's, it's not nice. I mean, let's just put it that way. It's not nice. It's of the devil, to put it bluntly. And uh, anyway, and I have to tell you the origin of this, this uh, conversation came up because recently I was, I was in a meeting and um, somebody asked the question about, about Israel and about, you know, what the Bible talks about it. Um, and why do people persecute Israel and stuff and, and the Jews? And I thought, you know what? The first person that came to my mind was Olivier Melnick. Yeah, he was. You know, I, I met Olivier numerous years ago when we were both at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention down here in Nashville at the Opryland. By the way, if you've never been to the Opryland Hotel, it's a gorgeous place. National Religious Broadcasters, a.k.a. NRB usually has their convention down there and I get the privilege of being in the media room where I get to interview tons of people and I always run into Olivier and me and him, our birthdays are really close together too. So, uh, but he is uh, the, the Northwest Regional Director and Director of Training for Chosen People Ministries, uh, which is an awesome ministry that reaches out to the Jews and in hopes to share Yeshua with them so that they know that he's the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so tonight, Olivier is my guest. So do me a favor, would you? Would you take a minute to share this out on whatever platform you're on? That way, maybe somebody, maybe somebody God has prepared for this moment will hear this show or see the show and maybe, who, who knows, maybe come into a relationship with their Messiah. Hmm? Wouldn't that be great? And at the meantime, we will also uh, be learning about how we can bless Israel at the same time. So um, take a moment and do that. We'll go ahead and do that. In fact, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, let's see here. I'm going to go live over here on some websites that I have up here. I got to turn that down. <laughs> There's only one of me, people. Although right now I see five of me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you again for tuning in. Olivier, I want to welcome you to the show. For the first time, actually, here you are. In my quote, virtual studio. I'm so glad that you're here, buddy. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Very happy to be on your show. Well, thank it's, you. It's a long time coming, you know? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I see you on my, I'm also going to go uh, live on mine. So there you go. There's only one of me as well. Okay. Good. Yeah. So... Um, let's give us, let's give a minute here to go ahead and tweet this out to on our broadcast platforms. Uh, all right. See, and... in real radio, the producers would be doing all this, but hey, we are, we are what we are, people. 
So, okay. That's one of the beauties to live streaming is that I let, it's more relaxed than traditional broadcasting. Uh, and plus we don't edit. You know, somebody asked me today, would you prefer doing a taped interview with me? Is that easier for you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not easier for me because it takes me a lot longer to to do everything. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to also tweet. There's a certain charm of doing live, you know, and, you know, so you have to be careful with what you're saying. And, and sometimes you have to backpedal and uh, you know, say, well, that's not what I meant or, uh, but, you know, there's a certain charm. Yes. Well, and what I will tell you is that I actually had the, the privilege of taping my show for years and I remember when when I was on blog talk radio blog talk radio <clears throat> taught me that it was okay to go live and be whoever I feel like I am that day <laughs> anyway I want you to tell me a little bit more about your background. Fill us in. Tell us a little bit about who you are, okay? That way people well, have uh, an idea I, who you are. Uh, I, was born in, uh, I was born in France uh, in uh, 1959 uh, and a uh, child of uh, Holocaust uh, survivors. Uh, spent the first 27 years of my life in France. Eventually uh, met my American wife uh, and an American Gentile Christian led this Jewish Frenchman to the Lord uh, 37 years ago. And uh, so we got married, came back to the States. And um, to make a long story short, we uh, lived for a little while in California, then moved to the Northwest and uh, had two kids. Then I went to Chicago for a while to get a degree from Moody. Uh, and then uh, came back to, the, to California, then back to the Northwest where we are right now. And I'm uh, currently finishing my uh, master's at uh, Dallas Seminary. So uh, online. And it was online before COVID. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been 100% online. It's, it's, it's been a blessing. A lot of work, but a blessing. Nice. And I, I have been with, uh, we have been with Chosen People Ministries for 23 years. I uh, serve currently, as, uh, you, as you mentioned, as the uh, director of training, national director of training, and the Northwest Regional Director, as well as uh, I'm on the board of uh, Chosen People of France, where on, under normal circumstances, whatever that is, I travel to France, back, back to France twice a year. Wow, very cool. So you and me have a lot in common. We do? Yeah, you we said do. we had a birthday. Close, uh, what's your date? Uh, October 9th. Oh, you're right. I'm October 8th. Yeah. So yours is right before me. I am primarily French. My maiden name is Parrot. Uh, and all my ancestors come from France for the most part, even though I got this much Jewishness in me. <laughs> uh, uh, Ashkenazi. <laughs> yeah. Cause, so, same for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's clear we, we both look kind of Jewish, right? I think we look, we have similar characteristics. I don't know. We're probably related. You're just older than me. <laughs> well, we're related in the Lord, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and uh, so let me ask you something. So what is it that you, like, okay, so, and you've been a believer for about 37 years? Yeah, yeah, I, just I got, about. I got saved around 82, 83. I don't know my exact conversion date because I just don't know it. I wish I did, but I was a freshman in high school in the 80s. Yeah. I was I was saved in uh, in the summer of uh, in summer of eighty five so thirty five years sorry okay years. so but still so we've been in the Lord about close to the same amount of time so that's so cool okay so how did you come to the Lord 
Well, uh, I had not, uh, I was not raised because of the, my, my parents uh, uh, dealing with the war and, uh, and the Holocaust. I was raised in a Jewish family, but I was not raised in a religious Jewish family. So we knew our identity, we knew our cultural uh, connection, but there was no religious connection. Didn't go to synagogue, didn't keep kosher, didn't keep the, the Shabbat, nothing. Um, met my wife during one of my trips uh, to California and then came back to France. She came to visit in France and she started telling me about messianic prophecies and the coming of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Bible, the Jewish everything. And I look at her and I'm going like, I'm not interested. This, you know, you can be a Christian, I can be a Jew, we can get along. And, but then we fell in love. I wanted to marry her. And so she said, I can't marry you unless we believe the same because I don't want to be separated from you. And I thought this was crazy. She gave me this little book. She, uh, this book called The Late Great Planet Earth uh -huh. by Helen Lindsay uh -huh. from yeah. the seventies. Yep. And so many people got, got saved reading that little book. And so a book, you know, that has the prophecies of the Old Testament, prophecies of the New, and how they connect. This is what's going to happen. This is what happened. You know, and one, two, one, two. And the whole book, very short chapters on everything that took place in the first coming of the Messiah and what is still expected to happen, which should be literal since everything was literal in the first coming. Right. And I read that book and I got to the rapture. And when I got to the rapture, I freaked out. I went, like, whoa, wait a minute. This is, this is, you're crazy. So I asked my wife. She was not my wife at the time. I said, you, you don't believe in this rapture nonsense where people are going to just poof, disappear. And she said, yeah, I do. I do. I don't know exactly the details of it. And I certainly don't know when, but I know it's going to happen. And when that happens, the believers will be reunited with, with Yeshua and the non-believers will be left behind. And that's way before the books were right. uh, you know, famous. So I said, that's crazy. And, but, but I couldn't get it out of my head. And I really got, got me scared. And that evening, actually, after her witnessing to me for quite a while, that evening when we discussed the rapture in more details and the fact that I could be left behind, it scared me. So she led me to, uh, to the Lord. She, we prayed together that evening because I did not want to be separated from her. And I understood also from God. So that, that was the beginning of a long journey. So you know what? So that's interesting because... The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey was the very first Christian book I ever read. And it came out, I mean, I know it was out obviously right around that time, right? But there was also that trilogy of end time movies out, which was A Thief in the Night, A Distant Thunder, and Image of the Beast. Those were the, the first three very cheesy <laughs> Christian movies and I remember this because I was just a kid I was just a teenager and I was like this the song from a thief in the night about being left behind was so creepy <laughs> it was a thief in the night the movie that starts with a person waking up in their bedroom with, a, with, a, with the alarm clock on the desk yes I think so yeah because I've never seen it but my wife you know she, she was she was raised uh, she became a believer she was nine she was raised you know she's like in the yeah. in 1960 she told me about that movie she said Olivier it was very effective but very cheesy yeah it scared the crap out of me I can tell you that right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how Christian media influenced my early Christian walk. <laughs> I see. And it, it, it really is. I mean, because, you know, now, as you all know, the, the uh, you know, uh, left behind and all that, that, you know, that's, pff, that's like, so, like, like, 
A Thief in the Night. That was the original. <laughs> Scare your pants off. That movie. was that was the, the the mother of all movies. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, maybe I should should try to see it. But, I know you uh, can anyway. you can watch it on YouTube. I think. I think, and I think Pure Flix has it. Which, okay. by the way, Pure Flix is no longer owned, I believe, by Dave, David A. R. White. Him and his wife got divorced. I don't know if you know that, but no, it's sad. But anyway, so okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, anti-Semitism because that is a huge issue. And I remember when I met you at NRB, uh, you handed me your book about the new anti-Semitism, and I know that. Uh, um, you know, the, the, ex, first of all, explain what it is. I, I know some people might not know. Just yes. You know. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for asking the, 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 this first question, because I actually I was shocked. I was speaking at a church a few years ago and the pastor had asked me to come and speak on, on you know, the, the, the state of you know, anti-Semitism and why it's coming back and what we can do. So I start speaking on anti-Semitism and, and you know, I, I do my own message and in a Q&A, this person raised their hand and they were very brave, actually. Because, you know, at, at, the, at the risk of being embarrassed and, and this woman raised her hand, she goes, sir, I have a question. What is exactly anti-Semitism? So she did not even know what it was. She had never heard the term. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so anti-Semitism, one way to define it. And, and I, by the way, I, um, I, I talk about it in detail in this book that came out last year, The uh, End Times Anti-Semitism, which is on my website at newantisemitism.com and on Amazon. Um, uh, anti-Semitism, generally speaking, is the hatred of Jewish people uh, simply because they're Jewish, characterized by thoughts, words, and or deeds against them. Thoughts, words, and or deeds against them. And sometimes it's a, it could be a combination of all three. So it's a hatred of Jewish people simply because they're Jewish. And, and, and Stacy, what's fascinating to me is that um, when you look at the word Semitism or Semite, it comes from the descendants of Shem in the Bible in Genesis. And the descendants of Shem are the Jews and the Arabs. Hmm. But anti-Semitism never, ever is describing a hatred of Arabs. It's always a hatred of the Jews. I thought it was interesting. You know, it's only used negatively against the jews do you think that <clears throat> do you think that has anything to do because of ishmael no i just i i, I there's, there's really no i i don't know i mean the the, the use of the word anti-semitism goes back to uh you know to the late 1700 uh, you know this uh, german uh uh man by the name of wilhelm marr coined the phrase uh, either late 17 or late 18, I, I have a, I'm drawing a blank now. And he used the word anti-Semitism uh, to describe the hatred of the Jews. Uh, but uh, nobody really asked himself the question, why is it just against the Jews? So I don't know if, that, I don't know if it's anything to do with Ishmael. It's just like it's, it's only used against the Jews in a negative way. So it's the hatred of the Jewish people simply because they're Jewish. Some people are anti-Semitic and yet... I've never met a Jewish person in their life. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and you know, okay, and obviously, do you, the, the spiritual overtone to that though is because Jesus is Jewish, right? Well, that I, I would go, uh, I would go even further than that. Uh, I think you and I already had that conversation, uh, you know, um, before. 
the 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 reason for anti-Semitism is it's a creation of Satan. Uh, hmm. You go back to the very first messianic prophecy in Genesis three fifteen, the seed of the woman, um, the the animosity between uh, Satan and the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman, of course, back then, it's 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 a hint. It's it's very little detail, but it's describing in a very early stage who, who Yeshua was going to be. That's the first messianic prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. But uh, but Satan goes way back. He wants to stop the Messiah from coming. And and and, and we see it all throughout the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And why is that? Because Satan is a very good study of scriptures, a student of scriptures. He knows the Bible very well. And he knows something that many Christians don't know is that when Israel, when the Jewish people look up and say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus is going to come back. And that's, you know, the end of chapter 23 of, of Matthew. He says, surely you'll not see me again until you say, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the second coming, not the rapture, the second coming of Jesus hinges around Israel calling upon him. Most people go like, well, when all the people that need to be saved are saved, Jesus will come back. Actually, that's included in that. But the reason biblically is when Israel call upon the Messiah and say, we missed you, we want you to be coming as the Messiah, that's when Jesus comes back. Yeah. Which, by the way, ties very well to the fact that God is not done with the Jewish people. And that's, that is a, a good argument against replacement theology. But I know we'll discuss that later in the program, I'm sure. Yes, we will. I can't believe you're jumping ahead, Mr. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I always <laughs> no, jump ahead of myself. I no, get excited. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm just giving you a hard time. Okay. So let's talk a little bit. Okay. Cause I want to get this, this other term out there. Anti-Zionism. Okay. So one of the, one of the, um, one of the terms that we hear, uh, from people who are like, you know, is like, you're just a Zionist and America is just a Zionist, you know, blah, blah. And, and I don't know why you, you Zionists, you know. So talk to me about Zionism, exactly what is that? And then anti-Zionism. Zionism, Zionism is simply a term to describe the, uh, the uh, a movement of, of, of Jewish people going back to the land, uh, which we today call, you know, Eretz Israel, you know, the land of Israel. Uh, it's a movement that has many facets. It, it is, uh, you can look at, uh, cultural Zionism, political Zionism, religious Zionism, Christian Zionism, uh, uh, secular Zionism, all kinds of different facets to that movement. But basically, this is the, the, the right that Jewish people have to go back to their ancestral land, ancestral biblical land that we know as Israel. And uh, uh, so it, 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 is, it is only used negatively uh, uh, you know, when people say, well, and people will say very often nowadays, they say, well, I'm not anti-Semitic. There's a, there still is a, a stigma in, a, about the word anti-Semitism because when people hear anti-Semitism still in our generation, they think Holocaust, Hitler, Nazis, and to be called an anti-Semite is still not, not a good thing. But if you could be called an anti-Zionist, you could, you know, you could argue at least in your own head and try to convince people and say, well, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just anti-Zionist. What the Jews are doing to the Palestinians is wrong. I am not anti-Semitic. I'm anti-Zionist. You talk to anybody who claims to be an anti-Zionist and you find out that 
in their mind, there is no difference. Their ideology is, is, is the same. Anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism means the same thing, even though some people will say it doesn't. Right. I, I have not met one anti-Zionist who is not anti-Semitic. Right. Oh, no. And I agree with that. I think that's, that's um, completely clear, um, especially when you look at, I, I mean, when I look at the hatred online, <laughs> it's crazy. And, and then, of course, we have our politics. Um, you know, I mean, in the world of Christian media, there is a whole arm of messianic media. And, and then, of course, the Christians for Israel type media. Um, and, and, but then like you, you mentioned earlier, there's also the idea of replacement theology, which is, I believe, very anti-Semitic. And, and I think I learned from you a couple years ago that, that, that not only because of reformed theology, but the, um, you know, the anti-Semitism has, is risen even within the church today, um, because of that theology and, and some other stuff. Can you talk to that? Well, you, you, what happened is that, um, uh, you know, the church did not wake up one day and say, let's let's start promoting this new view that the church has replaced Israel. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It took a long time. And uh, uh, in, in, in my book, uh, End Times Antisemitism, I, I cover a whole chapter on the early church fathers and, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, uh, Chrysostom, uh, you know, many of them. And what happened is that early, uh, after the closing of the canon, the first, first and second century AD, uh, church fathers wanted to study scriptures in, in the original languages. So they, uh, they started meeting with their, their Jewish counterparts. So, you know, uh, bishops and priests and, uh, and, and leaders of the Catholic church or the Christian church got together with rabbis and they learned Hebrew. With that, they also learned, they, 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 um, they learn some of the views of, of and how to interpret scripture from their Jewish counterparts. So uh, it was a mix of learning the language and learning uh, new ways to interpret interpret the scriptures. And some of the church fathers started to interpret scripture allegorically, not literally, mm -hmm. and not in a grammatical historical context like you know what we recommend we do right. uh, to 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 study scripture. And when they started uh, studying scripture um, uh, allegorically. Within, within one or two centuries at the most, uh, they started seeing uh, a need or, 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 or a reason, I'm not sure, to, to see that anytime the New Testament spoke of Israel, it really spoke of the church. And so it started, so it did not, it, it started to, to, to get uh, 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 formulated that way. It did not have a name of replacement theology or the, the, the fancy name, which is supersessionism, which is the same thing as, uh, as replacement theology. It did not get a name like this until much later, but the theological approach to scripture of the church having replaced Israel uh, can go back to probably AD 150. Okay. So it's 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 a process, and the problem with replacement theology, unless you wanted to ask a question, I, I can keep going for a little bit. The problem with replacement theology is that, um, well, first of all, I, I I don't think it's it's biblical. I mean, that's that's the, the the first thing we need to say. But the the problem with replacement theology is when you have a God in Genesis twelve, 
makes a promise to Abraham and to his descendants. And in Genesis 15 and 17 and further, reiterate this promise to through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says that it's an unconditional covenant. It's, and it's an eternal covenant. In other words, you have to do nothing for me to do what I promise to do. And it's forever. When God says this in his word, if we believe that the, the Bible is in the inherent word of God, there's no mistake in what he's saying, and, and God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then for Christians today to claim that they are now the new Israel is akin to calling God a liar mm-hmm. or a covenant breaker. Yes. Because God would have to break his eternal, unconditional covenants with Israel to pass on the blessings to the church. And by the way, when people say that he passed on the blessing to the church and the Christians, they are very happy to leave the curses to the Jews. But in Deuteronomy 28 through 30, God talks about obedience for blessing and disobedience for curses. But when replacement theology people say, we're the new church, we're the new Israel now, we take the blessings. Curses, the Jews can keep them. They don't say it this way, but they think it that way. Right, right. Well, and you know, it's, gosh, I got so much going on here in my mind, but this is true. I mean, this is very true. Um, and it, and it's the, the allegor, the allegorization. I don't know if I said that right people, but I'm trying when people use allegory, when they make the Bible allegorical and stuff, I have to tell you, I, I'm teaching a Bible study right now in Revelation. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm doing this Bible study. And what's funny to me is that I have a couple of students who want to allegorize everything in that book. And I'm like, no, <laughs> the tree of life really is the tree of life. It's just the tree of life. It, you don't have to allegorize that to make it Jesus. It's really the tree of life. And so I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And I think sometimes the, the deceit of the enemy, because like you said, he knows the word better than all of us. And anybody that thinks Satan doesn't know it any better than all of us, you, you're kind of deceived because he does know it way better. Um, you know, he does everything he can to twist it and to get yeah. us to think completely differently about it, which is why I love what you guys at Chosen People do, because you train people to share the gospel in the context in which it's written so that people can understand it, which this is kind of a, I'm going off track here just a little bit. I want you to talk a little bit about that because, um, cause like I know Isaiah 53, just as an example, that's really clear. That's talking about the Messiah, but like in secular Judaism, they don't even read that. Right. They don't even, they don't even open it up in. Yeah. And, and again, uh, you know, we have to be we have to be fair here. When you say it's really clear, it's really clear to you, well, and it's really clear to me. To me, because yeah. we read our Bible. Uh, first of all, we we have the Holy Spirit to enlighten, uh, to uh, illuminate. That the proper word is illumination. Is when the Holy Spirit helps us understand Scripture. Uh, so we we have that. Uh, uh, Jewish people um, 
Jewish people read Isaiah 53 when they read it. You're right. Very often uh, it's not read. It's actually, uh, if you look at the uh, prayer book in the synagogue, uh, the most famous uh, uh, prayer books I have on my shelf behind me here, uh, it goes, uh, it, it, you know, it, does, it divides the, 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 the Jewish Bible into sections, weekly sections called parashot. And when it gets to, uh, to Isaiah 53, it skips to Isaiah 54. It's like the chapter doesn't exist. Mm. And you know, it's it, people don't question it. People in the pews in the synagogue don't question it, which is amazing to me. Uh, but I have repeatedly in my 23 years of ministry uh, shared Isaiah 53 uh, with with Jewish people. And uh, uh, I remember, I, just, I, I basically, I tell a Jewish person, uh, if I can't actually ask them, can you pull your Bible from the shelf, if I'm at their house, they'll pull their Bible in Hebrew. I said, "Read Isaiah 53. It's actually 52:13 through 53:12, mm-hmm. and and put everything aside in your head. Just read it and see if it's painting a picture of something." They read it, and they and and if they read it, they're puzzled because they go, "It sounds like Jesus." If I read it, they even will go as far as saying, "I don't believe in the New Testament," right? Because most Jewish people do not know Isaiah 53. Now. Until, what's amazing is that until the 11th century, Isaiah 53 was a very messianic passage. Jewish people were taught that this was speaking of the coming Messiah that would suffer for his people. They were not told that his name was Jesus. But they, they, were, they were told this is, a, this is speaking of the Messiah who will suffer and die for his people. And that was changed by a French rabbi in uh, the mid, uh, like 1050, the mid mid 11th century. He changed it because he was afraid that too many Jewish people would get converted to Christianity. Although I don't believe that we Jews get converted. We just find our Messiah. I don't like the word conversion. Right. Uh, But uh, he he was afraid. So he changed. He He took it upon himself to change the meaning of the word of God. And all the messianic prophecies that spoke of Messiah, he said, it's speaking of Israel. But that again, that was not a literal interpretation. It was an, it, it was taking allegorically. And the problem with allegorical interpretation is that people that even say they don't do allegorical interpretation, they do, and they pick and choose. It's like cherry picking. Well, this really probably doesn't mean that because it doesn't make sense to me, so it doesn't mean it. So we always approach uh, scripture uh, and, and, and go into an allegorical interpretation when it doesn't fit our personal agenda right and that's yeah no that's very key that's very key and we we do this i mean i talk about homosexuality all the time on this show or at least i did i I don't try not to do it every show but but you know you cherry pick issues oh let's ignore romans 1 or leviticus 18 you know talking about that subject because we don't want to go there because we want to build this gay theology over here it's the same thing you know, you, you were mentioning earlier, you said you're doing a Bible study in, in, in uh, Revelation. And uh, mm-hmm. people, there is a love-hate relationship between Christians and Revelation. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians love to study Revelation, but they really hate to get into it because they don't have a clue what they're looking at. So like they, they, want, to, they want to know about the Antichrist. They want to know about 666. They want, but they don't really want to study the whole book as a whole. And when you take Revelation, like every other book of the Bible, you take the book literally... Right, but it 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 uses symbols, mm-hmm. but in in grammatical historical interpretation, what we do is we take the symbols, and they are in the text. They are, 
but they are always pointing to a, a symbol doesn't mean something one day you turn the page and it talks about the same thing and it means something else every time it talks about the thousand year millennium it talks about the thousand year millennium it's the same thing mm-hmm. anytime it talks about a fallen star it talks about a fallen angel right so the symbolism exists and we should not take that away and say, well, we have to be so literal. And, and sometimes it pushes people away. Well, I can't be that literal because it doesn't make sense to be so literal. I didn't say we have to be so literal that take every word at face value. Like when Jesus says, I'm the door. Well, his belly button didn't become a doorknob. Right. He's not a door. But the symbolism has to be, we have to exegete the, the word and look at the symbolism with with a some kind of a structure it's always the same meaning when we use symbols anyway just yeah. no i i'm glad you said that because um because you know the book of revelation i love the book of revelation and and what's interesting to me about it is is that it's highly intimidating to people and yet it's actually pretty clear in some ways <laughs> if you actually look at it um i was talking to one of my friends who who uh was just really struggling with 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 how I was trying to teach, which was, you know, I'm trying to teach inductively, right? So it's, it's like, okay, I was trying to explain to her, you need to understand this in the context in which it's written so that you can interpret it. And, and the Lord just gave me a word for her. And I, I said, okay, let me ask you something. If you, let's say in a hundred years, somebody was reading a newspaper about the presidential election and Donald Trump using Twitter and tweeting, now, the word tweet could be applied to a literal bird who's tweeting, but in the context of Twitter today, uh, you'd have to understand the complex con- context of using Twitter and what right. Twitter is. It's just a platform, right? And so if you don't understand what Twitter is 100 years from now, then it's not going to make sense. And I explained to her, I said, this, this, is, this is what we're looking at. You have to look at how this meant then, so that you can understand it today better. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a good analogy. I might steal that. Thank you. Well, God gave it to me. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And so we don't need to be intimidated of the word of God. Plus, I actually think, um, and maybe you can concur with this, I think that we have more understanding today. I mean, I think we have so much more understanding of God's word um, just because I think the Lord's given it to us. And I think he's opening up that for us if we just take the time to seek him and, and pay attention. Well, it, it, it requires, uh, God, God did not leave his, his, his word, his Bible for us as a big mystery that's going to mean something. I mean, if, if we are to live as, as Christians by the Bible, if the Bible is our, uh, our, our book, our, our guide, for everyday life it, it is ludicrous to think that it could mean something to somebody and something else to somebody else it has to be one truth and we either agree or disagree with it but we cannot make it something different for anybody or pick and choose what we like and drop what we don't like it has to be the same truth for everybody but it requires work it requires study and 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 uh, being in fellowship with God and, 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 and spending time in prayer with him. But, but what most people don't want to do is they don't want to study. They don't want to read the Bible. They want to get quick answers. You know, we have been completely conditioned in our society for uh, immediate answers on everything. We, we, we have a question. 
you Google it. And then you get, right. the, if you know how to Google it, you get the answer. And if you don't even want to type it, you ask Siri, you ask Alexa, you ask all those. And uh, uh, it just, we, we have no patience anymore. We, we have no patience and no attention span. We want it now. And people are doing the same with the Bible. They don't want to study. They want, uh, uh, so it's, it's very sad. And we're getting on a different topic here. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. Uh, so, okay. So let's, let's go back to our allotted thingy here. Okay. So we have a lot of questions. Um, the, the anti-Semitism issue, um, talk to me a little bit about the BDS movement with, and what, and the demonization of Israel. Cause that's something that I don't think very many people know about. I know a little bit about it, but not enough to be smart about it. Uh, BDS. Okay. Now BDS is, uh, it, it started, Tell me what uh, that means first. Yeah, BDS is Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction. Okay. Uh, it officially, the modern version of it started in 2005. Okay. It was started by two gentlemen, and I use the term loosely. Okay. <laughs> two gentlemen, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the uh, current, um, current leader of uh, the Palestinian Authority, who is, on, I think, on the 16th year of his four-year term. And um, uh, uh, the other one is, uh, last name is Barghouti, uh, Omar Barghouti, I believe. There's two Barghoutis. Omar Barghouti, who is a Palestinian uh, militant. And uh, they started this movement saying that, uh, basically, uh, trying to convince people um, in their... The, what the way people think about when they support BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanction, is they're supporting uh, a movement that is going to force Israel uh, economically, mostly, and, and, and is going to force Israel to stop uh, their crimes against humanity and their colonization and uh, their occupation of the land of Palestine. Uh, so they, they say, you know, don't buy Israeli goods, don't listen to Israeli music, don't watch Israeli movies, don't invite anybody Isra uh, Israeli speakers into your universities, uh, boycott, uh, disinvest if you have investments in firms that are in uh, uh, in Israel, or if your firm invests in in uh, in Israeli products, you should not. And so it's all under the guise of an economic boycott, uh, uh, kind of a, a carbon copy with the uh, the boycott of um, uh, South Africa, the apartheid boycott of South Africa. And uh, of course, there's no comparison between the two, but the vast majority of, of people uh, who follow the BDS movement don't have a clue. They don't look at facts. Right. Uh, the, the Jewish people have been painted now since 1948, but mostly since the mid 60s, uh, as the new perpetrators in the Middle East. That the, the the roles have been uh, have been shifted. The, the victims, the Jews, have become the perpetrators, and the perpetrators. Uh, the the Arabs, and that's not all the Arabs, by the way, okay? Right. A lot of Arabs want to live in peace in the Middle East, uh, have become the victims. The Palestinians have become the victims. So now we have the Jews being called the new Nazis of the Middle East. Uh, you see all that on all kinds of cartoons in the Arab press and other and other newspapers around the world. And and all these people are pushing this BDS movement, and it's it's made its way into the church. When you have several denominations of the church, 
of, of, of the evangelical, or I should say the Christian church, that have uh, adopted resolutions against Israel and divested some of their pension funds uh, simply because they, um, they think that by doing that, they will stop Israel from, from uh, occupying Palestine, which of course they're not. So it's, it's, it's the wrong things for the wrong motive. It's a double negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's... I, I, let me let me just add one more thing. Um, uh, Omar Barghouti uh, got his PhD at the University of Tel Aviv. So I have a question for him: If everything that comes from Israel is illegitimate, <laughs> is his PhD legitimate? Because he's a Palestinian who got his PhD from Tel Aviv. Right. Well, and nobody had an issue giving it to him. He did the work. He got. You know, he deserved it. He got it. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of things. Um, I'm thinking of how you, you I often, he, I've heard, I can't say, I, I run in circles where I hear this a lot, but we, we've heard, well, Jews are super rich and Jews don't need the money and, you know, Jews have done this, this and that. Um, and it's like, well, of course, of course, you know, you guys are bullies. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it really, what really gets me is is just the ignorance i've only been to israel one time it was it was a stressful trip to be honest with you it was just very stressful i i hope if i ever get to go back that i can be there for longer than a week because one week was just way too short for that trip um but when we look at the the middle east right and i had the blessing of interviewing um i forgot who um eli berkowitz from uh, Israel 365. And when Donald Trump put the embassy there in Jerusalem, they were rejoicing like you wouldn't believe. When Barack was there insulting Israel constantly for eight years, you know, they, it was not fun for them. Um, but the, the whole issue of land for peace, right? And all this other stuff. Talk to talk to me about that because because <clears throat> that ties into this money thing, doesn't it? Uh, Kinda, no. <laughs> I don't know if it. I Am don't I stretching can... here, Olivier? <laughs> maybe maybe we have a little bit of stretch here. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I'm new at this. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, let me let me wrap up the the idea of of, of BDS. Okay. Uh, and then we'll uh, jump to that other this, topic because I, I, you know, I when I speak, uh, you know, in different conferences on the topic, I tell Christians there's a simple way to to fight BDS and to denounce it, to expose it, but also to fight it is um, uh, the people that push the, the 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 agenda of BDS. They say don't buy Israeli products, you know, like cripple them economically. So what you do is you go to a BDS website. And you go to the list of products that are from Israel that we should not buy. And they've done the homework for you. And now as a Christian, you look at, oh, look, I didn't know this was made in Israel. So I'll, And you start buying it. So basically, the BDS people are doing all the work for us. They're telling us all the stuff that comes from Israel. And all we have to do now is go to their website and look at that list and buy Israeli products and support Israel. And going to Israel on tour and, and visit is also a good thing to do because they need they need the tourism. So right now that you can't because of COVID, but uh, right. uh, I can't wait. We're going back next October and I can't, I can't wait to go back. So now for the land, um, I think I think one of the most interesting developments right now is what's happening with the peace treaties. Yeah, talk to us about that. And um, 
you know, I was looking on the map the other day, and if Saudi Arabia, which we've heard is probably the next country, and I, I, I am I'm no prophet, okay, I, I'm just, it might, might not be, but uh, there's rumors that it could be the next country to, uh, to sign a peace agreement with Israel, which would be huge. If Saudi Arabia was to sign a peace treaty, you have, uh, you, you had 1978, you had Egypt. Then 1996, I believe, was Jordan. And then recently, in the last, uh, last you know, this year, we have uh, those few countries that, uh, um, that have joined. You have uh, Sudan and uh, Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. And then uh, one more, I, I forgot. But those are all making like a U-shape all around under Israel. And so Israel... If you if you if you were to add Saudi Arabia, it, it creates a complete buffer zone on the southern from the middle to the southern part of Israel by all those countries going, we're friends now. What does that make you think of? What that makes me think of is that the time in scripture when we know from Daniel chapter nine and in and, and, and other places in Daniel and Revelation that eventually when the Antichrist comes on the scene. Israel will drop its guard and go like, we're okay. We're at peace. We have, we don't have to worry as much as we used to in the forties, fifties, or even, you know, until recently. And I think right now what we're seeing with this, this land shifting and this friends and, and enemies changing is we're seeing a, uh, a prepping of the ground for the coming of the Antichrist. I'm, I'm pre-millennial, mm-hmm. pre-trip, pre-everything. Right. So I know, I, I, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, well, I do I believe, I should say that, I believe that I will be raptured before the tribulation. Uh, but I, we're seeing him right now is the setting of the stage. I, there's no doubt in my mind. The setting of the stage for the Antichrist. And when Israel, when the Israel's guard is down is when the Antichrist will be able to come sign a covenant and say, I'm taking care of everything. So it's, it's exciting from a biblical perspective, but it should be scary for people who do not know Jesus. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I'm with you. I believe like you do, just so you know. Uh, do you want to take a couple of questions? Cause... Uh, if, we, if we have questions, I can take them. And I reserve the right not to answer them if I don't know what it is. Okay, but I so, can try. <laughs> well, I have, I have um, there's some, there's uh, one of our, our friends who, who tunes in often, who I don't, I, don't, I don't actually agree with on many things, but he's usually respectful. Um, he's got a whole bunch of comments here. So let me just go ahead and read, uh, read this. I'll just call him Ivan because, you know. That's what Ivan's son is his name. So he says here, um, and you may or may not know this. So he says, the Talmud says Jesus is burning and boiling excrement in hell. Care to address the anti-Christianity of the Jewish rabbis? And then he says, rabbis call us Gentiles, Gentiles goys. They consider us to be subhuman. They say our souls are lesser than theirs. Israel deliberately attacked the USS Liberty in order to blame it on Egypt so as to drag America into their war. Why would Americans not be a little perturbed about that? Let's just stop there with those three. Okay, so, (laughs) well, tell us how you feel about the Jewish people. Uh, This, uh, you know, to me, uh, first of all, let me address the Talmud. Uh, I am not by a long shot an expert on the Talmud, okay? Um, I, I, I recognize the, the value of the Talmud uh, culturally and historically and even religiously for Jewish people, but uh, even <clears throat> if you really, really oppress a Jewish person, 
you'll you'll find out that the Talmud is not really the 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 the, um, uh, the inspired word of God like right. the rest of the Bible is. The Talmud is a commentary. It's considered the second law, the oral law, but really it's not the inspired word of God. It is considered as almost equal by many rabbis. Uh, so because it's not the inspired word of God, I could look at the Talmud and say, listen, it says things about Jesus in the Talmud. Okay, it says things about Jesus in the maybe uh, the Book of Mormons or the Pearl of Great Price or some other books that other uh, uh, religions have written. Uh, I on, I'm only going to look at what the Bible says about Jesus and the Jewish people. And uh, uh, so so that's that. The other, what was the second one? The, the Jesus that the... the, the the Jews call the the uh, yeah, the, the rabbis call Gentiles goys. They consider us to be subhuman. They say our souls are lesser than theirs. Okay, so uh, you know th this sounds to me like a generalization, and we, all of us, are guilty of generalizing and painting with broad strokes. Uh, and 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 we have to be very careful to say that all the rabbis call all the Gentiles goyim, which by the way in Hebrew means nations. So it's just a word. It can be derogatory. Some Jews have, have, have used the word, you know, in a derogatory way. And, and, and that's, that's true. Does that make it right? No. Does that make it all Jews say that and believe that the Gentiles are subhuman? No. That is absolutely not true. That I, 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 that's not true. I mean, uh, Hitler made his agenda in a way that he convinced the people that Jews were subhuman, they need to be killed. But uh, uh, when you're subhuman, you're basically not worthy of, of human life and you need to be destroyed. Have the Jews gone after the Gentiles to kill them like Hitler went against the Jews? No, this is ludicrous. This is not a true statement. I'm sorry, my friend, that is not true. As to the third one, I'm not sure I can answer that one. What is yeah. It? Um, Israel deliberately attacked the USS Liberty in order to blame it on Egypt so as to drag America into their war. Why would uh, Americans not be a little I, I don't know enough about that one to, 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 to say to say one way or the other, but uh but I I think I don't know what our friend uh what, what his problem is with the Jewish people. Uh but apparently uh he seems to believe that the Jewish people don't like the Gentiles. Now uh, what we have to do is we have to go back 2,000 years, in, which I document in both of my books. We have to go back 2,000 years of, of Jewish-Christian relations to find out that uh, that basically the Jews, uh, you can look, uh, you can, and I, I make a case in, 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 in several things that I've written, uh, that you can look at Jewish history through the eyes of anti-Semitism, because Jewish history has been punctuated by acts of anti-Semitism. Yep. You know, the, the even in the Bible, but after that, you have the Middle Ages and then the forced conversions, the forced baptism, and then the, the Crusades and the Inquisition and the pogroms and the Holocaust and on and on and on and on. And so, uh, and we've been the, the 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 scapegoats of humanity for more than two thousand years. It hasn't been the other way around. This gentleman makes it sound like it's the other way around. I'm a little puzzled. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing that. He's asked a couple other questions too. Do you want to answer them or? Uh, if they're going to be edifying and helping, yes. If they're going to be more of the same, I don't think I want to take the time. Well, let me just ask you this one. He says here, if Israel rebuilds the temple and starts up the sacrifices again, how can a Christian support this as it would imply that Jesus was insufficient atonement for the world? 
that's a good question, actually. That's a good question, but it's it's theologically flawed. Yeah. Because, uh, and when I said that, I don't. I said this with the highest respect. Uh, is Israel will rebuild the temple because it has to be in existence to be desecrated by the Antichrist. Right. Christians don't have to. Uh, to support it. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that we're going to support the rebuilding of the tribulation temple. Why should we? The fourth temple, the one after the tribulation that will be desecrated and destroyed, the fourth temple uh, in uh, Ezekiel 40 through 48 comes out from, you know, you know, comes out from, from, from God and it's com- coming into Jerusalem. That's the one that God wants, the, the, the final temple. But the, the third temple, the one that's going to be rebuilt in, uh, in Jerusalem, uh, is not condoned by God, should not be uh, uh, condoned by Christians. So we're not saying that the Levitical priesthood system is going to be back and it, it's like uh, negating what Jesus did for us. I don't believe this in, in a, for a minute. Uh, it, it's simply part of the Jewish belief system that they're going to rebuild the, the temple. I don't, I don't think it needs to be rebuilt because of what Jesus has done for me uh, and for you and hopefully for our friend who's asking the question. But the Jewish people don't believe in Jesus. So for those who don't believe in Jesus, they rebuild the temple. They don't believe in the Antichrist either. Right. To them, it's just like a bunch of crazy belief. So it needs to happen. We need to believe it's going to happen. We don't have to believe it's the truth. Like it's it's the new truth of going to the temple and sacrifice. That's that's passé. But we need to believe that if the Bible says that temple is going to be rebuilt, it will be rebuilt and desecrated in the middle of the seven year tribulation, and um, and and that's that's biblical truth. So mm-hmm. this, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I don't support the Levitical system replacing Jesus because you know. He paid for the, He paid for it all. It is finished. He said it is finished. It, it, there's no going back. Yeah, great answer. That's a great answer. And you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, we know. I mean, as far as I understand, because you know, I've studied under Dr. Fruchtenbaum for quite a while. You know, I understand that, in ultimately, in the in the end, you know. Like you were saying earlier, Israel has to call back for her Messiah, right? Right. So we know for the last, I don't know, decade at least, that there has been a a regathering of Jews into Israel. And there's been an explosion of Messianic congregations in Israel, right? More than the last decade, actually, it's it's yeah. been several decades of uh, you know. I wrote an article. Uh, I would invite your uh, your audience to visit my uh, my site at newantisemitism.com because I put an article there in a in a podcast every single week on Friday and on Monday, and uh, I think it was last Friday. I posted a new one today, but last Friday uh, I did one on um, on the only prophecy of the end times that we can take to the bank today. The only one that we know for sure that we know that we know. And that is exactly what you're talking about is the return of the Jewish people in unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to uh, uh, Ezekiel 36 and uh, 37, 38. And uh, we have seen the Jewish people going back to the land in large number in droves for the last 30 years. I mean, many from France, like 50,000 came out of France in the last 15 or 20 years. It's a huge number, mostly because of anti-Semitism, because, you know, Israel, as crazy as it might appear to the average American, is the safest place for for the Jews of of Uh anywhere in the world. And it's going to get, you know, clear, more, more and more clear that as Jews are becoming more and more persecuted, 
that Israel is going to be the only place for the Jews, but they're going back in the land. And that is prophecy being fulfilled in our very, in our very time, in our very lifetime right now. And that's exciting. Yeah. You know what I think is cool? And, and he, and he said, thank you for your time. Shalom. He, by the way, he thanked you for answering the questions. You're welcome. Shalom so, to you too. So I am, um, you know, I, uh, you know what I think is kind of cool. Okay. So I think not only with the Messianic congregations there, you know, all these um, Jews are coming to Yeshua, right? What I think is interesting is the, and maybe it's just because this is kind of what happened to me. You know, Rabbi Greg Hirschberg, right? I'm not sure I do. You don't know him? Okay. Well, anyway, he's, he's a, he's a Messianic rabbi out of Georgia. He's, okay. he's crazy. This guy's awesome. I love this guy. Anyway, he came on my show a couple of years ago and he told me flat out I was Jewish. <laughs> I was like, okay, as far as I know, I'm not, but you know, whatever. And uh, he said, cause you know, how I look and you know, all that. Anyway, long story short, I met Claudia and Bill Koenig at a prophecy conference in Oklahoma and Claudia Koenig told me, go get a DNA test done after like three or four other people who I didn't know came up to me and said, you're Jewish, aren't you? And I'm like, why are you saying this to me? You don't even know me. And Randall can confirm that actually happened. So I had all these people who didn't know me come up, tell me I'm Jewish. And I'm like, that's the weirdest thing. So I got my DNA test, found out, yes, I am Jewish. Now, this is the interesting thing to me is, is that with the DNA, the, the, because we're a lot of us are doing DNA tests and stuff, and we're we're figuring this stuff out. I think it's kind of interesting that with all the tribes, you know, that that is a cool way to be able to figure out like who belongs to what tribe as the tribes get drawn back to Israel too. Don't you think that's kind of cool? Does that make sense? Uh, do you really want to know how I feel about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, just pretend I didn't say, yeah, no, go ahead, because that, that's just my kooky idea. Uh, I I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> I believe that the tribal records were lost. Um, oh, okay. With, with, well, see, uh, I'm with ignorant about all that. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, uh, you know, the tribal records uh, were lost uh, with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., Okay. The only na- the only tribe that is a- able to be identified is the tribe of Levite, which is going to be needed for the temple in a tri- tribulation to resume the uh, Levitical uh, uh, priesthood and, and services because you have to be a Levite. So any name, it's, it was carried in the name, any name with okay. the last name of Levi, Levi, Lowenthal, Loventhal, uh-huh. Cohen, Khan, Khan, all those names are the tribe of Levi. Any other tribe, we have no idea what tribe we're from. So I really don't oh. understand. Okay. And I'm not an expert on, on DNA, but I really do not understand what they go to to prove that you're from the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe. Did they tell you what tribe you're from? No. I mean, I mean, for me, it just said I was Ashkenazi because my relatives come from France. Yeah, and, but and... Ashkenazi and Sephardic, that, I understand that because yeah. that, that's, that's geographical. Right. You know, it's like if right. you come from Spain or North Africa or, you know, uh, you're pretty much Sephardic or, or the Middle East, you're Sephardic. If you come from France uh, in, or, or Europe or Eastern Europe, you're Ashkenazi. So that's pretty much that's okay. it. You can, that, that, that's OK. I, I totally get that. I just like but, saying the term Ashkenazi. It makes me sound yeah. smart. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but I don't believe anybody can know what tribe they're from unless they, their last name is okay. from birth, Levi. And that's sure. not a name that they that they took on because they liked it. So so that's why I said when people say, oh, I just found out I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I said, good. You know more than uh, <laughs> God. Because, and God God knows. Uh, do, you know, do you know why I know God knows? Is be, well, first, first of all, he's God. <laughs> right. but he also told us that in, a, in a Revelation, 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Right. So he knows. He knows which tribe we're from. But it doesn't matter. We're not supposed to know. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So well, that's, just, that's my two cents. That was just my thinking. I was not based in anything except my thinking. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what I like about you? Because you're, you're Jewish, you know, you're just so direct to the point. I, that's, I, the I, French, I like that's the French and Jewish in me. You know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm I tell it like it is. I wouldn't it's, know anything about that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so we've been talking an hour, so I'm going to give you the option if you want to stay longer or you want to just like wrap this up. I'm good either way. I uh, well, I mean, stay longer, you mean for another hour or? No. no. Okay. Uh, we can go a little longer. I mean, I mean, if you have a few more questions, I, I don't, I don't mind. I can go another, what, you want to go another 15 minutes? What? Sure. Okay. We can do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's go another 15 minutes. Okay. You're the does, boss. does anybody else have any questions? I know. Isn't that weird? I'm a girl boss. <laughs> oh, let's see here. Okay. Well, I mean, one of the things really, in, in all the things that we've been talking about, though, let me ask you, what is, okay, what is it that you want us to do with the information that you're giving us, right? Because we I really need- yeah, we need we need to know. I mean, like, tell us what to do with this, okay? Because I'm I don't want to do a show for the point of just doing a show. I want people to be able to take action with what it is. Uh, aside from getting your books and stuff, how can we minister alongside chosen people and and, and all that other well, stuff? Well, yeah, you. Uh, thank you, thank you. Because and, and, and we should probably this should be should be what we we wrap up the whole thing with a. Uh, with, with that and actually you know on the screen right now you're showing two you're showing the book on top and the dvd on the bottom there's another book and i really need to talk about this not not to push my books and to make money because i don't make money with my books really but uh, uh and this is only this is like ten dollars on amazon this is not an expensive book but this is the probably one of the most important books i've written it's uh, seven steps christians should take to help their jewish the jewish people and what it is is for 20 years now i'm going on a little over 20 years i've been fighting exposing and teaching against anti-semitism in churches and conferences and books and, and articles and when i wrote my second book on anti-semitism the uh, you know the end times anti-semitism uh, I I kept telling people this is what's coming. This is how it's evolved around the time. This is what's coming. This is this is this is bad. This is bad. We got to do something. Funny, I thought, okay, enough exposing. I need to give people the tools to do something. So in this little book, the time is now. That's exactly what I do. It's a very small book. It's a very quick read. Maybe an hour. I give seven reasons why, seven steps to help the Jewish people. And I mean, I'll. I'll read you the chapter heads because that basically, you know, will, will help me not forget. Uh, okay. Uh, here's the first one. It's going to amaze you, but we've already discussed it. Reading our Bible properly. That will help the Jewish people if we read the Bible properly because we'll understand them properly. Right. Praying for Israel and the Jewish people. Three, visiting the land. 
Four, investing in Israeli products. Five, teaching the biblical truth about Israel. Six, speaking up and defending Israel. And seven, and that's the one I want to emphasize right now. Seven, I talk about a new group of people that, uh, um, and you know, maybe down the road we can do another show just on that if you're interested. Uh, uh, during the war, uh, there was a group of Gentiles that have been uh, that have been uh, they've become known as the righteous among the nations. Hmm. They were Gentiles that helped Jewish people uh, during you know mid thirties to mid forties during the war years and the Holocaust. And they did it. They were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. They didn't do it for money, and they did it at their own at risking their own lives. Actually, a family of farmers in the southwest of France hid my mother for two years as a Catholic girl. She was hiding on a farm by this family who in 2013 received the medal from Yad Vashem of Righteous Among the Nations. So I was honored to know that my mother was hidden by a family like this. And they, they did it because they just wanted to protect her and they, they didn't take any money. They were not Jewish. They were simple farmers. Wow, and that's so cool. I believe... I believe that we are entering a, a, a time right now in our history where there's going to be a need for the new righteous among the nations. And that's what I talk in chapter seven of this booklet, hmm. the new righteous among the nations. I'm convinced that we are at a time where Christians have to start thinking, what can I do to help my Jewish friends? Can I hide them? Can I feed them? Can I, I mean, we're not there right. yet, but we're advancing towards that very quickly. You see what's happened even with COVID, how in New York, some Jewish families were, were disrupted by, by the authorities because they were meeting and they were, you know, threatened of, of closing, their, you know, coming into their home, closing synagogues. I mean, I believe that we are approaching very quickly, entering into another era similar to the 1930s in Germany. And for more than the Jews, actually. Yes, but I but believe that we, too. As Christians, as Christians, and you know, I'm a Jewish believer, so I, I, I you know, I'm a little different because I'm a Jewish believer. Uh, it's, it's a little different, but the Gentile Christians, which is the majority of the church, have to ask themselves the question, uh, you know, what can I do for my Jewish friends? Am I ready to hide them in my house, feed them? help them go to Israel, whatever it takes. When, when the day comes when, when a Jewish person is going to need the help of a Gentile Christian, are they going to be saying, hey, I want to be, not just for the sake of being called and you're righteous among the nations, but I want to help because the, other, the alternative was 75 years ago, all the Christians, quote, end quote, who look the other way. And when you look the other way, you become a co-perpetrator. We know when you are a bystander, you become a co-perpetrator. You are as bad as the perpetrator because you look the other way and you let things happen. We cannot let that happen again. And I believe that it's coming. There's coming a place where the Jewish people are going to be greatly at risk for their lives, and Christians can and should make a difference. So that's that's why I wrote that little book. And uh, uh, people should get it. It's on Amazon. It's you know on my website or Amazon on on Kindle if they want. It's ten bucks. You know, I, again, I don't make a lot of money with my books. I just mm -hmm. want people to have the idea so they can actually understand what I'm talking about. You know, what's interesting about what you're saying there is, and, and maybe it's because I was born for such a time as this. I <laughs> was supposed to be funny. Come on. <laughs> Quoting Esther, I understand. 
I got it. Maybe not everybody, but I got it. I know. Anyway, I've been studying the book of Judges. And, uh-huh. and you know, it's, it's interesting what I've been learning because this has been a challenging book for me to read because it's so full of fun. But it, it but, but it's interesting because you, you're talking about the Gentiles kind of saving the Jews, you know, trying to help, help that. Um, and I've been learning about that in Judges, you know. I mean, in, this last week I studied Deborah and how do you say it? Yael? I think <laughs> that's how you say it, right? The tent peg mm-hmm. woman, you know, who was the wife of a Kenite, right? And um, anyway, it's interesting because Deborah was Jewish and she was Gentile. And God used them both to deliver the Jews during that time. All right. Well, God, God will use will use anybody who's willing to 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 further His kingdom. So that's I'm, I'm, I know I'm, is that I'm cool though? That. Yeah. So uh, but, I would have not I, known that two weeks ago. <laughs> but I, I I really think that our our Gentile Christian uh, audience needs to really start thinking about their involvement in helping the Jewish people because you know going back to Genesis twelve three, mm-hmm. uh, God tells Abraham, "I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you." So there is a biblical mandate, a biblical precedent for you know helping the Jews and being blessed and and. Uh, the, the, the when the best thing you can do uh, to a Jewish person is to share the gift that never stops giving, which is the gift of the gospel, you know, salvation. Uh, but again, if a Jewish person is going to be in need of anything, uh, you know, just telling them that Jesus saves is not enough. Right. I mean, it, it is all they need, but right. But you 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 might still need to hide, feed, clothe, whatever. So. You know, the gospel is the answer to the cancer of, of mankind. But in, in the meantime, until a person can accept the message of the gospel, you have to also earn the right to speak. And uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's a delicate balance. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so how can, can, can chosen people ministries help with that or? Um, well, chosen people ministries, we have, we have so many different ministries uh, that are available now, and of course, many of them online. Right now, most of what we do is online because of COVID. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, we have several websites. Uh, uh, there is a great website. Uh, I don't know if you've if you've been on our website called ifoundshalom.com. Um, I found Shalom has about oh, it's got to be close to a hundred now. Uh, five to eight minute testimonies of Jewish believers. Some of them famous, some of them not so famous. Uh, I, I know, know there was one called I Found Messiah. Is it the same one? Uh, it's a, no, it's a different one. Different one? But I Found Shalom. I, I've, okay, for I'm instance, have you heard of the, uh, the uh, there's a guy that you, you used to be able to find him on YouTube and he's on Daily Wire now, uh, Andrew Claven. Uh-huh, yeah, I've heard of him. He's on our side because he's a Jewish believer. Oh, wow, cool. And uh, so it's just a testimony. I'm on the site. I tell my testimony and there's about a hundred people uh, and it's a great site to give to Jewish people to investigate the gospel because it's a bunch of Jews telling their stories of how they came to Messiah. And it's non-threatening because it's, you know, you can watch it on your phone, on your iPad, on your, you know, on your computer, by yourself, on the street, you know, so it's non-threatening. We have that. We have another one called Isaiah 53 Explained. Ooh, I have to look that I- one up too. Isaiah 53 explained, or actually Jewish people can visit that site and uh, uh, 
they can get a free copy of this book that our president, Dr. Mitch Glazer, wrote several years ago, a, a great book on, on explaining the meaning of Isaiah 53 and the power of that message, which we uh, you had mentioned earlier in, in yeah. the broadcast. I love so Isaiah that's a good 53. One. And, uh, so Chosen People Ministries, you go to our website, chosenpeople.com. There's a lot of resources. We have podcasts, we have videos, we have uh, we have several other websites, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm forgetting several new ones because we come up with new ones to disciple to uh, to reach out to to help uh, and, and of course we have you know branches and offices all over the world we have 22 uh, 22 countries or uh, 22 cities in the US and 20 countries in the world uh, we uh, we're just about anywhere there's a Jewish community almost everywhere there is a Jewish community of of, of, of you know of a certain number where are uh, you will have a work where are you at again I'm in the Seattle area oh, okay for some okay I did not know that. I don't know why. I guess because I always see you in Nashville. So, the last time you saw me, I possibly was still in California. Hmm. I don't know, but okay. yeah, we've been we've been in the Seattle area now for. Uh, uh, how could I be in Nashville and be the Northwest director? No, no. I mean, you were in Nashville when last time I saw you. Right, right, right. <laughs> you were in Nashville, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm. In and, and I, I see. I didn't even remember you were yeah. in Nashville. I'm yeah, in Spring yeah. Hill, actually. I live in Spring Hill, which is Tel Aviv. Just so you know. So I, uh, yeah, I'm in. I'm in the Seattle <laughs> area, and uh, uh, you know, and that's that's where I, I. Okay. That's where I reside, but I do a lot of travel. Nice. Well, that's very cool. Okay, so you've been very helpful, and yeah, of course, I want you to come back, and, and maybe we'll make the conversation more like, you know, not as. <laughs> uh, hey, Whatever. that's me. Maybe just so you know. Next next time, we can take more questions from the audience if they have them, or you know, you can prepare the audience for the time and ask them questions ahead of time. Whatever you want to do, if you okay. want to have me back, I, I'm always available to have. To, I enjoy the conversation. I think what you're doing is great. And uh, whenever you want me back, you know where to find me. I can't do a star, David, so I'll just do a heart. I do a heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you came on. And everybody, do what Olivier said, just so you know. You should do that. Go go to these websites. Go, first and foremost, though, to his website, thenewantisemitism.com. Go there. And... Just new, not the new, just newantisemitism.com. Yes. That's what I meant, people. <laughs> As it appears on the screen. As it appears on the screen. Perfect. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So go there, learn some stuff. If you forget something, you can message me directly. You know, I, or I, or, or Olivier, you can, do you, you want them to follow you, can... you on the, through your website? Do you, are you, do you want them to connect oh, yeah, they, uh, through the website? They can, uh, I usually do it through email. They email me if they have questions or, uh, you know, and I, I, I connect with people that way. Okay, cool. So there you go. There you go, people. All right. So there you go. This was tonight's episode of Bible News Radio. Hey, if you like this show and you want to help us, you want to help us with our expenses, you can always go over to BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash give and give to your little heart's content. And uh, we will be back tomorrow night, Lord willing, at 7 o'clock, same time, central time right here on our uh, platforms that we're on. Uh, don't forget, you can also subscribe to my text message list by texting Bible News to 33222. You can do that through my website. You can get on my Revelation Bible Study email list if you text me directly. Um, and if you have any questions, just text me directly. I'm not that hard to get in touch with. All right. And as I always say, people, be bold, stand up, and go with God because he loves you. We'll see you next time. 